Good morning, South Hills, and uh, good morning to all of you who are joining us online. We're so grateful to uh, have you with us. Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Joshua chapter 14, and I've entitled the message this morning, Lessons from an Old Vet, because we're going to look at the life of uh, Caleb, and uh, there's some lessons that we uh, have uh, that we can learn from him in Joshua 14. You know, one of the special privileges of being a pastor is that you get to be invited into people's lives, and you uh, get to share some of their most intimate and memorable stories, and, they, and you become a part of that story. Memorial Weekend has caused me to uh, think about uh, a lot of the uh, veterans and uh, people that I've uh, met over the years. Many of the uh, World War II vets have all gone to, uh, to glory. I think of my friend Ted Takuda, who uh, liberated Dachau. But uh, while he was liberating Dachau, his wife was in an internment camp because she was a Japanese-American. She went on to be uh, John Wooden's personal assistant for many, many years. But when uh, Tad one day finally told me the story of what it was to walk into Dachau, I felt uh, one of the most privileged persons because he'd never told anybody, not even his wife, the things that he saw. And there's just been many men over the years who have told me their stories of, of war. My own father, who was a World War II vet, would not speak about it. The only thing he ever said to my mother is, when you've been to hell and back, you never want to talk about it. And that was all he said. And he took those stories to the grave. A few years ago, one of our young men at Sun River was going off to war. He was going to Afghanistan. And one of our oldest... uh, invited all of the men in the church and women who had served in the military to come to a luncheon, to come and share stories and to pray over Brock. And I was the only person who hadn't served who was invited to the luncheon. It was uh, one of those really memorable experiences Every branch of the service was represented, and we had officers from general to lieutenant present, and every rank of non-commissioned officer present as well from all of those services. And there were people represented from every conflict from World War II on. Now, you can imagine when you get a bunch of vets like that together, there were some tall stories told. But there were really some powerful stories told. My friend Bill Crabtree uh, told about learning about the birth of his first daughter while he was on board a ship in the Pacific. And the fleet commander, through a light signal, signaled to him that his uh, daughter Judy had been born. You can imagine Bill telling that to a young 
soldier going off to war. And then there was my friend uh, Jerry Matthews. Jerry was a survivor of Hamburger Hill. He had been, uh, he was in hospital for about 18 months recovering from all of the injuries that he sustained. Most of those in his uh, battalion thought he had died from those injuries. No one, had, for many years, no one talked to Jerry about PTSD. And it was only when he was 80 years old that he said to me, Paul, I've had nightmares for 38 years. His wife just nodded because she'd have to wake him up every night. But Jerry told about God's faithfulness to him. Jerry worked at the Sacramento Bee for all of the years that he, when he came back from war, he was the painter there. And everybody in Sacramento who visited the Bee loved Jerry Matthews. Jerry was one of my favorite people. And he also lived right near Dairy Queen. <laughs> I'd like to go visit him. And then there's my friend Solomon. Solomon was an African-American infant who came to know Christ in Vietnam. And then became probably the most influential evangelist I've met amongst servicemen. He would share Christ uh, with everybody he met. When Solomon came into my life, he was suffering from cancer from Agent Orange. He just died recently. Do you know who cared for him in his end? An officer who he had influenced for Christ. And who, when Solomon was uh, in trouble financially, he as a financial planner came alongside and sorted everything out and then stayed with him. And I asked him one day why. He said, because of all that Solomon had done for him and the freedom that he had in Christ. You know, you get to hear those stories. And so uh, Brock was placed in a circle in Ken's home and all of these vets gathered around him and they began to pray. And so you've got men who are nearly 90 and some who are in their late 20s, early 30s and they're praying. And the final prayer was from Brock's dad, who's a NCO. And with tears streaming down his face, he prayed the blessing of God over Brock. And I got to witness a dad's love. Powerful, powerful moments. Learned all sorts of lessons that day from vets. And I want us to learn some lessons today from another old vet that's, uh, that we read about in the Bible. And by the way, Brock survived two tours of Afghanistan, is now a youth pastor at his home church, and uh, just thriving. You see, Caleb is the poster boy for faithfulness. He's the poster boy for somebody who lives wholeheartedly. He's one of the true heroes of the faith, and he was somebody who was doing his best work at the end of his life. 
There are very few people in the Bible who finish well. But Caleb is one of those. Will you listen to the words of Holy Scriptures? They're found in Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the heart of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kezanite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Get the background to this, you've got to go to Numbers chapter 13. You know the story. They're in the... uh, The wilderness and Moses sends uh, 12 spies to uh, spy out the the promised land, to, uh, to see what they're facing in the battle. A report comes back. The majority report posed by 10 people says that the land is plentiful and bountiful. But the size and the strength of the inhabitants is overwhelming. This place is unconquerable for us. Then there's a minority report. Joshua and Caleb. And they beg to differ with their colleagues. Sure, everything that they say is true. But they believed that the land was conquerable. Why? Because God was with them. And God had promised them the land. And they were standing on those promises. You see, fear has this capacity to drown out the divine voice. You hear it all the time. And that's what happened that day. Fear drowned out God's promise. 
And for 40 years, people wandered around in the wilderness. And that generation never got to enter except for Caleb and Joshua. The people questioned Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, but they survived that. And now Joshua as the successor for Moses, living out the legacy of Moses, is now with his friend Caleb. And they're talking. And Caleb's asking him to fulfill a promise that was made to him. This story's told in some form three times in the Bible. Here in 14, it's alluded to in 15, and in Judges chapter 1, we get part of the story again. That tells me it's an important story. It's an example of what we call an example narrative. The way it's written is that the person is held up to us as an example. And what we get in, the, in this passages of uh, Joshua is equivalent to kind of a Western land grant where the tribes get the, their portions of the promised land given to them. And Caleb's there for his. He rehearses the past to Joshua. And you see that in verses 6 through 9. He uh, takes us back to Numbers 13 and to Deuteronomy chapter 1, and he reminds us of his own faithfulness against the fearfulness of his friends. He also rehearses to Joshua the promises that Moses made to him, and he asks for them to be fulfilled. See, I don't know if you've noticed how fear is tied to faithfulness and fear and faithfulness have something in common. It's forgetfulness. When you're fearful and when you're faithful, you know what you suffer from? Memory lapse. You forget what God said. You forget who God is. You forget what he's promised. And we retreat. And the divine voice gets drowned out. That never happened to Caleb. You see, faith, though, is tied to memory. Faithful people have good memories. They remember what God said. They remember who God is. And they live in the light of what God said and who God is. And that's Caleb. It's really important to remember your past. It's important to remember what the promises are of God is. You see, encouragement occurs when truth talks to fear in an atmosphere of grace. 
most preachy. And the word for encouragement is exhortation, too. Is about truth talking to fear in an environment of grace, isn't it? Didn't you come to be encouraged? Didn't you come to have your fears calmed and for the truth to prevail and for it to be done in an atmosphere of grace? Because we all struggle with fear. And then in verses 10 through 12, what Caleb does is he he moves us to the present and he requests his blessing. He says to Joshua, Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today. I'm 85 years old. And I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I, want, as I was then. Now, he's not like me looking in the mirror who still thinks I'm 35. <laughs> but my hair tells me something very different about that. And every time I try and run a half marathon, I'm reminded that I'm not that 35-year-old anymore. I now have to walk them. But Caleb isn't suffering from that. He's like Moses. He's vigorous in his old age. That's a really graphic Hebrew word. And he's ready to go back to battle. Now, the US military wouldn't let him go back to battle, he's too old. And most old vets I know who've gone to war, they never want to see it again. But Caleb was ready to go because God had promised him something and he wasn't going to the grave until he'd experienced it. And he reminds Caleb of the promise of that Moses had made, and now Caleb is responsible to fulfill it. Sorry, Joshua is responsible to fulfill it. Because he's the new Moses. I don't know if you notice that there's a word repeated in the text three times in this passage. It's the word wholehearted. Do you see it? Verse 8, 9, and 14. This is a man who's wholehearted, even at 85. He's doing his best work in his old age. You see, he's got a big picture here. He sees that his allotment in the promised land His little corner is tied to a bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that God had promised the people the land 
And he's wanting to experience the fulfillment of that promise. And so he asks for it. And he reminds his buddy Joshua what Moses had said. They're the only two old-timers left. That the land of promise is part of the unfolding drama of redemption that ends up with Christ Jesus. It starts with Abraham through Moses, now Joshua, Caleb, and culminates in Christ dying on the cross. This unfolding drama of redemption. This is tied to that. It's the big picture that he sees. And then in verse 13 and 14, you get a blessing. Then Joshua blessed Caleb. Can you imagine what that scene must have looked like? Two old timers. Did he lay his hand on him? Bless him. And he gave him Hebron as his inheritance. Got to go to Hebron once. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kezanite, ever since, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly, the God of Israel. you imagine what that blessing was? Did he pronounce Aaron's blessing? The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and God himself be gracious to you. The Lord lift you up and turn his face towards you. And God himself give you peace. Was that the blessing? Or was it some picture of another special future? We can only speculate about that. But that day, Caleb receives a blessing through Joshua that came through Moses that was rooted in Abraham. Beyond that, in God himself. And he's ready. What's Caleb's legacy to us? What's the lessons we get to learn? One of them, I think, is this, that he was wholehearted. That Hebrew word has the idea of living without any reservation. There's there's just no reservation. You have no misgivings about what God, who God is and what God has said and done. And so he's just ready to take the hill. Because he believes what God says. And he's seen God's faithfulness. There's no memory lapse here. There's no fearfulness. There's just earnest devotion. 
He's 85. And he's seen the blessings of God. That they yes and amen. That's what his promises are. There's no double-mindedness in Caleb. Double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. But not this man. Not this man. He's a person of deep convictions. And those convictions direct all of his choices. And that's why he's there. He gave his report according to his convictions. You saw that in verse 8. And now, this man of deep conviction about the promises of God is asking his friend for the fulfillment of them. And it's going to direct the choice he makes. He's going to go take that land. He was a person who, as he grew older, became less fearful and more faithful. That's kind of a switch to what you see in history and what you see in the Bible. Because very few people finish well in the text. There's a a study done by a professor down at Fuller Seminary by the name of Robert Clinton on leadership. Clinton was an engineer in a a former life. And he's gone through and studied the uh, biographies of the people of God or the people who recorded in the Bible. And in that study, he shows how few people finish well. And all of us will admit that as we get older, it's really easy to become more fearful. We've seen that in recent days. But Caleb was somebody who became more faithful and less fearful as he grew older. It's really easy to understand why we do that. As you get older, you become more careful and cautious. It's part of survival. But Caleb, he became more faithful. He was ready to go back to war to get that promise. And he wasn't going to be stopped. He was a person who loved challenges. The bigger, the better. Just the bigger, the better. He was a person who put his arm around you and told you to go for it. Do you have anybody in your life who puts their arm around you and tells you to go for it for God? A few years ago um, was a Christmas uh, while our kids were in college And our youngest son had a group of friends who uh, joined us. Uh, One of our traditions would be uh, during the Christmas season to go to San Francisco. 
and we were walking through Chinatown, and uh, I was with a bunch of uh, young collegiates. Uh, many of these were um, Division I athletes. It was a really stimulating time. And uh, a young gal by the name of Olivia said to me, Paul, I have no adults in my life who are encouraging me to do risky things for God. We were standing outside a tea shop in Chinatown. I can nearly see where I was on the pavement when she said it to me. And her statement haunted me. There were no adults in her life that were encouraging her to do risky things for God. There were were people telling her to do responsible things and safe things and, and good things. But not risky things. I went home and Karen and I had a conversation. And that summer, Olivia came to live with us. She lived with us for about 15 months. Karen loved it because she had a girl in the house for the first time. Even our dog was male. (laughs) She got to have a daughter. Olivia interned with us in our youth program. We got to take her to Africa and watch her. We got to help her mend some relationships. And we got to watch her transform our hearts. And we got a daughter. I got to marry. I got to do the wedding of Olivia a few years ago. It was a wonderful celebration. But she wants to do risky things for God. Caleb was somebody who would have put his arm around you and told you to do risky things for God and would have helped you do them. That's who Caleb was. He was a person who chose to see the big picture. He saw his own little corner, but he always saw the kingdom. He saw the kingdom of God. And he wanted to be going after that. He was also a person who made a commitment to trust the next generation. You say, how do you know that? Because as you read the story, he gives some of his inheritance to his daughter and her husband. He doesn't hold on to it. One of the things that uh, I've noticed as I've got older is that uh, how easy it is for you to hold on to your power, your position, your institutional power, whatever that is. I sometimes worry about some of my older friends who can't give up their position in the ministry and they talk about they're going to hold on to that until they die as an expression of faithfulness. But I wonder sometimes if they haven't thought about the young men and women that they're 
not giving an opportunity to because they're still holding on. One of the reasons I retired when I did was so that the next generation would have a chance. I can still have ministry and do other things. But if all of us old guys, baby boomers, all hold on to those positions, where does the 30-year-old and the 40-year-old get to show their leadership? When do they get to be Caleb and Joshua? And so that's an important thing to do. And, and Caleb understood that. Now you say, he was 85. You've got to remember this. There, wasn't, there were only two of those guys. The rest of them were youngins. And he, he gave it to them. Remember what Jesus does? He entrusts his ministry to 12. And they entrust it to faithful people who entrust it to faithful people. One of the reasons Phil stepped down was he understood this. And he wanted to give other young guys a chance. Scott is 10 years older than Phil, at least 10 years older than Phil was when he came here. And he comes with more experience than Phil had when he came here. And look what God did with Phil here. You imagine what God can do moving forward with that? Phil stepped aside so as a young and could have a chance. That's to be celebrated. And by the way, I was with Phil in a meeting with Scott just recently where they talked and just offered whatever help he could be. And I know Scott's going to talk to him periodically. It was wonderful to watch. It was appropriate to have. The last thing I want to say about Caleb was this, that Caleb was a person who was committed to doing right, not being right. Do you understand the difference to that? One of the things I think we get all hung up on is about being right. That's important, but can I tell you something more important? It's about doing right. Doing right. Caleb was committed to doing right. He was going to live out the promise of God. That was doing right, isn't it? Do you wanna, don't you want to be people who do right? Isn't that the reputation you want of South Hills? This is a church that believes the right things and does the right things. Not just says them, does them. So here's the question. What kind of warrior do you want to be? What kind of old vet do you want to be? 
Am I, I going to be a warrior who's listening to the divine voice with its prompting to live wholeheartedly, to live without reservation, to go for it? Or am I going to get overwhelmed by the voice of fear and play it safe? What concerns me is that history and my own personal experience and watching others is that it's so easy to play it safe. And there's so many encouraging voices that tell you to do it. Be wise. Be sensible. Play it safe. The question of the garden is, has God really said? The biblical narrative about finishing well isn't encouraging. Don't you want to be somebody who finishes well? How many of you want to be Caleb? Want to be Caleb? Let's be Caleb. Gordon MacDonald in one of his books said this, that in response to Caleb, I want to be a person who is pleasant to be around because one is doing their best work and showing their highest character in their latter years. I happen to know Gordon fairly well. He was the interim president at Denver Seminary and I served on that board for 23 years. I've got to see Gordon in... He's now well in his 80s. And he is pleasant to be around. In fact, I covet any chance I get to be with he and Gail. And he's doing some of his best work in these years. I watch young seminarians just flock to him to get his wisdom. At my last church, our wisdom seeker class decided to uh, change their name. They wanted to be entitled the Encouragers. I love that. They wanted to uh, skillfully use God's word and their words to inspire faith, hope, and love in the next generation. In fact, they wanted to be that to everybody they came in contact with. And I watched them do that. If I popped into the class, I left walking a little taller because that's what they did. And I watched the way they supported high school kids and college kids. They were doing their best work at the end of their lives. One of the people in that class is a guy by the name of Dale. Dale would be mortified that I'm telling this story. He was Governor Reagan's uh, bodyguard. And when the, the governor went to become the president, he asked Dale to go with him. 
Dale didn't want to leave Sacramento and his family, and he stayed. But everything I've described about Caleb, that's Dale. Whenever I get a chance, I'll drop by to see Dale. My sons want to drop by to see Dale. When Dale puts his hand in your hand, you feel you feel like you want to be a better man just because he shook your hand. He has big hands. And he's still pretty strong at 92. He still plays golf. His wife is failing and so he's caring for her. But he's a Caleb person. The last time he was sick, and I mentioned he was sick, and said to a bunch of guys, do you want to go and visit Dale? 30 men showed up at the hospital. Now, his, vo- his daughter ran the trauma unit, so we were able to get 30 people in. And I listened to 30 men tell Dale stories of how he impacted them. And they were 18-year-olds, and they were 70-year-olds, and everything in between. I want to be a Dale when I grow up. I want to be a Caleb. That's who I want to be. You see, I want to be a person who grows less fearful and more faithful. A person who is gracious, grateful, generous, and global because of who God is and what God has done. Can I ask you to write your Caleb wish list? Yesterday, I I walked through the the auditorium with my uh, little outline of Caleb. It's a little messed up because it got folded up a few times. And I walked through these chairs praying that you would be wholehearted, that you would be persons who develop deep conviction and those convictions would direct your choices, that you would be people who grow less fearful and more faithful as you grow older, that you'd be people who loved challenges and you'd respond to them. That you'd be people who put around your arm around younger people and encourage them to go for it, for God. That you'd be a person who saw the big picture. You worked in your own corner, but you saw the bigger picture, the kingdom of God. You saw this city and this world and its need of Christ. I pray that you'd be people who'd trust the next generation to carry things on. I pray you'd do that with Scott. Many of you got to grow up with Phil. Let's let the, a new generation grow up with Scott in doing that. I also prayed that you'd be people who are committed to doing right not being right. South Hills, do you want to be that, those people?
South Hills, that's, that was pretty weak. Come on. In the words of Rod, come on. Do you want to be those people? Yeah. For 113 years, there's been a legacy of this church in this community. You moved from downtown to out here, and you saw what God did when you moved. A couple of weeks ago, there were a thousand people who were watching either online or in attendance here. I've heard people say, well, we've, we've really declined. That's, I don't think that's true. There have been people leave. That always happens in transitions. But there have been people come. I'd like to suggest to you the best is yet to come. That you've got this legacy, now live in it. You've got this wonderful older board who are really trying to lead. You, you've started to see Chris. He grew up here. He's somebody who has been trusted and moved up. And now he's here and he's ready to trust a younger generation. Let's just go for it and see what God does. Let's be Caleb and just take this land, okay? Come on, we're going to take this community. Come on. We're going to sing of the goodness and the greatness and graciousness of God. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And God himself be gracious to you. May he lift you up and turn his face towards you. And God himself give you peace. Please go in peace and worship as we sing to our great God.